0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to to see your offer. Sling. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. They were born 18 days apart. They grew up blocks from one another in South Philadelphia, but they met for the first time thousands of miles from home as they prepared for battle. They fought side by side all over Northern Europe, reconnected on their home turf after the war, and for the next 68 years, they saw each other or spoke on the phone daily. They were brothers in the truest sense. Robin Post wrote those words. She also wrote a book about the guests you're about to hear. The book is called Brothers in Battle, Best of Friends. The two men, Wild Bill Guineer and Babe Heffron, World War II paratroopers from Easy Company, the 506th PIR, 101st Airborne, who gained unexpected but well-deserved fame from the 2001 Stephen Ambrose book, Band of Brothers, and the Tom Hanks mini, Tom Hanks miniseries that it inspired on October 3rd, 2007, they were in my studio. I was then doing, what was I doing, TC? Morning Drive at that time. I was a Morning Drive radio host and these two quintessential Philly guys. I mean, this is one of my favorite parts of the story. They didn't know each other at home, despite the fact that they were born in close proximity, lived in close proximity, but I think it was Wild Bill who looks at Babe's uh, gait, the way he walks, and he says that is a Philly guy. Unbelievable events in which they participated in World War II. Wild Bill, Wild Bill was a paratrooper on D Day, as you're about to hear, landed in Saint Marie Igles. Babe Heffern, Babe Heffern helped liberate a concentration camp, and also was one of the first of the Allied soldiers to get into Eagle's Nest, which was Hitler's lair. And you're about to hear it in their words from a conversation that they had with me on October 3rd, 2007. This is the Smirkanish podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. In 63 years, these two men haven't gone a day without a phone call between them. I think the way that I want to wade into this subject matter is to uh, to read something to you uh, and to tell you right up front that the words that I'm about to read to you are the words of one Tom Hanks. Easy company of the 506th Regiment of the 101st Airborne was a collection of fascinating men. Some of them were taciturn, others hilarious. Some were country boys, others from the biggest of cities. Most of America's faiths were represented, including atheism. Some were accomplished ladies' men, others so shy they passed the war with their virginity intact. Wow. Each, of them, each of them faced the coming struggles with a priceless advantage, each other. To single out one or two of these screaming eagles as the most super-duper paratrooper or the best source for a free beer on VE Day would be a fool's errand. But to fail to single out Bill Guineer and Babe Heffron would be to overlook a grand entertainment and a stirring inspiration. Wild Bill and Babe, even their names, beg the telling of their tale, like great ballplayers from the 20s or legendary lawmen or outlaws of the Old West, They are the guys who grew up just blocks from each other in Philadelphia and yet never met until they were in England. Babe, you see, walked a certain way with a combination of a confident stride and a cocky bounce, so Bill knew, just knew, this replacement trooper had to be from Philly. Guineer was a veteran of the jump into Normandy and had already survived the killing, the misery, and the miles of bloody territory— that would have to be taken before the war would end, and he could go home. Heffron, newly assigned to Easy Company, was soon to fight in Operation Market Garden and barely survive the Battle of the Bulge. They were young, they were strong, oversexed, and over there. Just the kind of heroes that history makes out of two guys from Philadelphia. Wow, you got me hooked from Tom Hanks' foreword of a brand-new book, Brothers in Battle, Best of Friends. It's Wild Bill and Babe telling their story to Robin Post. Wild Bill, welcome back, my friend. It's good to see you.
3: Good to be here again.
1: Good you look you look good to me. I know recently your health has been an issue. You feeling all right?
3: I feel wonderful. Thank you.
1: Who's yes. this fellow that you brought with you?
3: Hey, that's the little guy from South Philly, Babe Hepri.
1: And and truly, for 63 years, babe, not a day. I mean, put aside hospitalizations, because Wild Bill's been in the hospital and you've had your own issues. 63 years, you've never missed a day talking.
2: No, I worry about him. You know, he's one of them guys you don't know what the heck he's going to do. So I make sure he's home. Yeah.
1: You, you, you didn't know each other in South Philly. No. You meet in England when you're both wearing the uniform of your country. Yeah, that's uh, t- right. You, which one of you remembers that meeting better?
3: I remember very well. Tell me Wild while, Bill. Uh, The way he walked. They got to walk. He walked like a guy from South Billy. I could tell. It's amazing how you could tell just by the walk. And you knew. I knew he was from South Billy.
1: But by the time that you met Babe, had you already landed on D-Day?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I, I, I,
1: I hope you don't mind. You tell the story in the book, and I I think that people need to know this. The the book is dedicated to Henry Guineer, your brother. My brother, yeah, yeah. You... You learned before you jumped into St. Maria Glay what happened to Henry. How did you learn?
3: I learned it from a letter from Johnny Martin. He sent a letter to uh, his wife, and his wife sent a letter to Johnny, and I picked it up by mistake.
1: When you're going into the head.
3: you going into the head, that's correct. Yeah. And you
1: read the letter, and it says what?
3: My brother Henry was killed. Nobody's, don't tell him, because it'd be crazy. Don't yeah. tell you? Don't tell me. yeah. No you, one would tell.
1: You found out, and you did go crazy.
3: I went like a maniac, yeah. On D-Day? Yeah. On D-Day, yeah.
1: Wild Bill, you you landed. How, where exactly did you land in Saint Marie Glacier? Right in the
3: square, of Saint Marie Glacier. Right in the square.
1: Who was the guy who hung up there and in the movie? That was Bob Steele from the eighty
3: second. Airborne. boy.
1: But you 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 hit the ground. You didn't. Yeah, uh... they
3: they supposed to jump there before us, but we jumped there before them. Yeah, it was a one big mess on D Day.
1: I know that uh, for, for a long time you've you've been telling people exactly what happened. Do you still have that sharp mental image of you landing in Saint Marie Glacier on D Day?
3: I guess it looks like I'm landing right now. Just like I'm landing right now. I what, can feel
1: it. what aspect of it comes to mind? Well, the aspect is, is
3: like a 4th of July. When, you, when I when I get there, the so 4th of July with all the fireworks, that reminds me of D-Day. That's the way it was. Absolutely crazy.
1: After D-Day, you, you meet uh, your buddy, Babe, over here.
3: That's right, met
1: Babe, yeah. The, the two of you, you fight side-by-side side in Holland and in Belgium, right?
3: That's correct. Yeah,
1: uh, Bill, you lost. Wild Bill lost his uh, his leg at the Battle of the Bulge.
3: I had to lose my leg. I'm, I'm to lose my life. That's all. That's all. Lucky to be alive,
1: Babe. You in Germany uh, are involved in the liberation of one of the camps, Landsberg, Germany, yeah. and also uh, the capture of Hitler's Eagle's Nest. Yes. Do you mind just sharing with us some of the reflection first of of liberating a concentration camp? Well, uh, as one of the actors that
2: portrayed me said in his foreword to the book there, he don't know how we put up with it, seeing it, because the actors that portrayed those people in the slave labor camp looked so bad that he, Robin Lang, said, I don't know how the veterans did it, seeing that in front of them. Well, I remember one story that uh, we were invited, Bill and I, to the German dinner. Uh, The German Jews that uh, survived the Landsberg and were in Germany, Romanian, Bulgarian, uh, Russian, Jewish people. And uh, there was a story that I tell so that people back home can realize what a great country we're in. There was a young girl. About 19, 20 years old, she had the most beautiful red hair and big blue eyes, and she was holding on to the wire, and she was saying, my heroes, my heroes, my God, God bless you, come here, free us, free us, we're free, and she was acting up, and I had a little fellow with me named Eddie Stein from St. Louis, and he was in tears. He said, imagine what they do. These are my people, babe. I said, yeah, Red, I know. And just then one of the Polish slave laborers that happened to be working on a German farm come over. Then he said, Shana, huh? And I looked at him, and I said, Shana is right. He saw me looking at this beautiful young romanian jewish girl what does shana mean uh beautiful in german or jewish and uh i said yes beautiful she reminded me of a girl back home that i used to dance with and go out with claire wilhelm a beautiful girl beautiful and uh she died after a year after i got home uh from uh tuberculosis so but the Polish slave labor said to me, and it's been in my mind ever since, he said, you know, that girl was the German officer's favorite. And that stayed with me. That's still with me today.
1: And as you wrote in the book, oh, boy, that hit me. The German officer's favorite, it got me sick. And yeah. Eddie, too, he started crying more. Right. I thought to myself, imagine... If that was your own sister or your daughter, I can see her eyes clearly today. She didn't have the striped garb the other prisoners had. She had women's clothes. She got treated differently. Right. Wow.
2: According to me, she did. I don't know if it was true, but I know if you looked at her... And the other prisoners, uh, she had to be treated entirely different.
1: Hey, babe, you were uh, you were at Eagles Nest. Yes. Holy smokes! I mean, you 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 were one of the first GIs to arrive uh, at uh, I guess it's pronounced Berchtesgaden, yeah, right, which was where Hitler's uh, secret command post was. Yeah. Tell us about that. What what did the guy have there, and what did it look like? What was what was going well, on? It was you-
2: most beautiful, most beautiful spot I ever saw. And Bill has been there since. Him and I have been there a few times. I think it's the most beautiful place on earth, and uh, a lot of people don't know it, but in the movie, uh, they don't show Birch's Garden per se. They It was the shots were taken in Switzerland due to the fact whether the German government would allow it or not, I don't know, or it was much cheaper to shoot in Switzerland. But... Uh, it looks the same, identical. You, you said wouldn't...
1: you said in the book he had enough, he had enough booze and food in there for twenty oh, years.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, They had plenty of booze, and uh, it was mostly all champagne and uh, a wine. And I didn't never go for that. I was a beer guy.
1: Did you drink any of Hitler's beer? No, I you didn't. Drink any
2: of his champagne? Nope, I didn't drink any. I don't like champagne. But uh, what I did, we didn't stay there that long. We moved into a village in Austria right on the border uh, called South Felden. And we got into South Felden, and they wouldn't let us occupy their home. The Austrians were worse than the Germans in regards to treatments of American soldiers. And our company commander, well, at the time, now he's battalion winners come up. And we, we explained to him, they won't let us in this house. And he said, well, they're going to let you in. And he told them, my people don't sleep in the ground. We won the war. My men do not sleep in the ground no more. Get out or there'll be certain things that's going to happen. That, uh, But anyway, due to winners, we got into the house. And in South Southern Austria. We didn't stay there long. We went up to Kaprun, Austria. Well, most of the regiment was Kaprun, South Southern, and Zell-MZ. Zell-MZ, if anybody ever had the chance, that's the place to go. That's a beautiful a beautiful lake in so but i want to
1: i want to ask wild bill guineer yes. and i'm I'm so uh i'm so thrilled that these two men these two american heroes are in my studio babe heffron and wild bill guineer two world war ii paratroopers from the original band of brothers you watched as tom hanks told their story stephen ambrose wrote about them and finally now their own words captured robin post did a great job in brothers in battle best of friends Their photographs in here wild bill among other things of, of of the two of you you know going over uh, to many of the, uh, the the to Normandy by way of example and to many of the locations where you were together in World War II when when you've gone back to where you landed on D-Day you look around what 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 is it that runs through your head well when I get back there the first thing
3: we always though babe and I always go to the cemeteries to see the soldiers the ones that were killed in action right that's the reason why we go back to pay our respects to all the people that that died and are buried there. You we, say We never forget that. We we're the only ones that won that war. Everybody won that war. Everyone won that war.
1: There's a photograph of the two of you together at Bastogne. Yeah. And the caption says, uh, the place is eerie and it brings back bad memories. Well the bad
3: memories is the battle we went through and the men we left behind. Yep. That's what it is.
1: How did you lose your, your leg, Wild Bill?
3: Well when Joe Toy got hit, he, he got hit up in Basone and I remember Joe Toy got five purple hearts. And when he got hit he said, Jesus Christ, what the hell am I gonna do to die? So there was a there was a paratrooper which which I I would believe was the finest paratrooper I ever knew. Joe Toy, the toughest Irishman I ever knew in my life.
1: Very true. Very true. One of the concerns that I have is that um uh, uh, you know, you're here and you've written this book, which is a great thing. A lot of people don't know what you went through. We're, we're not that far removed. And already, you know, it fades from people's memories. And young people are, are just not aware of what happened on D-Day, what happened in World War Two, what, what the stakes were that, that we were fighting for. Um, that must be frustrating, I guess, babe, If if if, if, if you're...
2: Well, I, I think it's very frustrating because one one thing we we can't stand, I don't abide by it, and I sure as hell no Bill Garnier don't, is the fact that people aren't as patriotic as they should be. This is the greatest country in the world. I don't have to sell this country. Bill doesn't have to sell it. What the kids gave... It wasn't just the kids. I said it in a documentary, and I believe this with all my heart. The mothers of any war, I don't care if it's a German mother, American mother, English mother, when they lose a boy that they've carried for nine months and they get a telegram, they all cry. All mothers cry. All mothers go to bed at night crying. We all know that. And when they gave everything, and these kids today have no feelings, I I, I, I just can't go for that. I just can't stand to be around them. And I know Bill, Billy, he just concurs 100% with me. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I don't even have to
1: ask him.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Is America's primary system working? Is the electoral college still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, Former Tennessee Governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. Tell me about the friendship between the two of you. Two South Philly guys who grow up blocks apart from one another but never meet. You don't meet until you're in England in the midst of World War II. Wild Bill has already fought on D-Day. He's yet to lose his, uh, his leg in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, you have no idea at that time you're going to be involved in the liberation of a concentration camp, much less end up in, in Hitler's lair at, at Eagle. I mean, you guys were as, as as in the action as anyone could ever have been. And now, for 63 years, not a day has gone by unless there was a medical reason otherwise where you haven't spoken on the phone.
3: Yeah, here's another thing for you, too. We had another two guys from South Philly, too. Ralph Trapezano, he's from South Philly. A Company and a, a, a Spina.
1: Ralph Spina. Ralph Spina. Did you know either of them before you went over? No. Did you, babe? Yeah.
3: No. Hey, four guys from South Philly
1: and the same <laughs> company.
3: Are they still with us? No, they both died. Both yeah. gone. Spina yeah. just died. Spina
2: but, was raised uh, on a street that Frank Rizzo was raised yeah.
1: on. Rosewood or Rittner? Rosewood. 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 Yeah. Uh, so every day you talk. Yeah. Almost every day, yeah. Who,
3: who calls who? That's Rolf Cohen. I always call him, he calls me. I'm the one that makes you call it Mosley.
2: Yeah, he mm. does because he he knows I'm never home. Until mm. I have to say I go mm. up and bet a few horses, mm. and you know I'm never home. Uh, really, I
1: don't uh, enjoy looking at four walls. And, hey, uh, hey, babe. Speaking of betting a couple of horses, there's a there's a, a vignette, a picture in the book of you coming home. Walk us through that. You come into thirtieth Street, right? Yeah. And then tell tell me what happens. Take, well, take I, me to the bar where you see your father, uh, the watch. I, people will need to hear that.
2: Well, I uh, I got on a bus at Broad Street, and, uh, of course, we did, walk, we did walk to Broad, and I got on a bus to go down to South Philly and Broad Morris. So I got off. I got the trolley car down Morris Street. They had a trolley car on Morris Street at that time. It went right down the front. I got off at 2nd. And I walked north of 2nd Street to a bar called, it was 2nd and Greenwich. In New York, they called Greenwich. In South Philly, it's Greenwich. Right, Bill? You got it. Yeah, Greenwich Street. But anyway, uh, we cut letters short, you know. But anyway, uh, I walked up to the corner, and there's my uncle, who was a number writer, Charlie Chew and that's what he did for a living he took numbers and rode horses and uh he said hey babe Uh, i said wait a minute uncle charlie here a watch i got from a crowd prisoner take it and he gave him a watch i promised him a watch if i ever got one if i come home all right but anyway he said your dad's in there with your two brothers i said oh good so I walked into the bar, and my two brothers grabbed hold of me. Oh, babe, oh, it's good to see you. Oh, boy, they were all over me, and the guys in the neighborhood. You know, they were all kidding me. Christ, you look like uh, Eisenhower, the goddamn decorations and all that. So, anyway, uh, they said, There's daddy down at the end of the bar. Your father. Yeah. So, it's my two brothers telling me. It's daddy down the end of the bar. So I said, oh, okay. I stood there talking to him, and he walked over. He said, glad to see you home. And he went right back to the bar. No hug, nothing. uh, Just, uh, I don't know whether they wanted to prove they were men or what. I don't
1: know. I mean, you don't tell that in the book in a negative way. It's just he was a man's man.
2: Oh, yeah. Not the kind who's going to hug and kiss you and cry. No, he never, never, never showed any emotion growing up, never. Never, absolutely never.
1: Hey, the two of you went back to Bastone for the first time. There's a monument to Easy Company. All the men who were killed in Bastone. everybody goes there to see it. So many that the area has become a tourist attraction, and they hit you up for everything, Wild Bill.
3: Oh, yeah. That was put there last year, I think. Yeah.
1: yeah. So tell the story of what they hit you up for when you're at the museum.
3: Well, Babe could tell you, that's a good story there. When we were there, we've been there about ten to fifteen times.
2: Oh yeah, before the monument.
3: Before, yeah, before the monument. monument, right? Well, this we we went there and we had to go to the bathroom. So everybody uh, gets in the line to go take a pee. I, I'll tell them. Okay, Babe can tell you the story about the, <laughs> yeah. the big pee. All I'm right, the babe. guy that
2: spent the money. Yeah. I'll tell yeah. it. Tell me, Babe. Uh, we before we went into the men's room, this is right in by stone. Yeah, and. Uh, the broad, it taking a, there's a broad there taking money. I didn't know what it was for. So Bill said, hey, babe, I think you have to pay. So a Dutchman come over. He said, oh, yeah, you have to pay. If you take a P here, you have to pay. So I said, all right, I got some currency on me. What the hell? Uh, so we got in line, and I was the last guy. And usually little guys will last anyhow and everything, even trying to watch a parade. You can't see a goddamn parade when you're small, you know. But anyhow, uh, the woman said that'll be 10 francs each. So I said, no, she said 20 francs. I said, all right. All right, go ahead. Let them go. The piss is on me. So I paid for the seven guys. (laughs) Seven twos of 14, I paid 140 francs. No. But I didn't mind. But what I did, I was really, uh, it would irrigate you to the point where I said, you know, miss, I'm going to tell you, and this broad weighed about 300 pounds. <laughs> didn't she, Bill? Oh, 300. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, I said, uh, I'm going to tell you something. You see them woods over there? And the woman said, yes. I said, well, let me tell you. I took 5,000 pisses over there, and you'd never charge me a dime. <laughs> and she looked at me. She said, I, had nothing. I said, yeah, I know. Uh, I said, you must be
1: French. Listen, <laughs> the, uh, I think you've captured the spirit of the book. Yeah. Oh, I was yeah. hopeful you'd come in this morning, you'd give everybody a little taste of what Robin Post did with your story. You must have spent a lot of time with her, huh, Wild Bill? Yeah, about five years. About five years. Five well, years. it's such an important book. And Tom Hanks wrote the foreword. He's a good guy, huh? Oh, he's
2: a great he's a guy. Greatest man. Uh, greatest greatest guy.
1: And Brokaw, too. The yeah. pictures in here with you guys yeah. and Brokaw. But yeah. the German general who surrendered, he wanted to, I read the in the book, he wanted to surrender to someone of similar rank. How do you come into it and what happened?
2: Well, I was standing there directing the traffic uh, to the German soldiers that were walking and and any automobiles, cars, uh, weapons, carriers, whatever the Germans brought up, and we had a big pile of weapons that they would just throw the weapons. We would tell them, throw the weapons there, and the cars, we would keep moving, keep moving. There was so much of it. But the German general... It it was odd because he happened to be driving his car. Usually the chauffeur would be a the colonel, a major, whatever. But this the colonel got out of the car and asked me if uh, he had this German general uh, here, and would he uh, he wants to surrender to somebody with equal rank? And I said to him, "It's not in the book." But I said to him, "Well, I'm pretty rank," <laughs> uh, but it. it he didn't know what the hell I was talking about, but anyhow, the guy, one of the guys with me, he left.
1: But he comes, but he comes up. He salutes you, right? And I don't return a salute. He wants a return salute.
2: Oh yeah, but and- he looked at me like he did. He didn't say nothing. But the uh, the colonel told me, in a in a matter of seconds, uh, he expected military courtesy, expected you to return a salute. I'd say, well, I don't salute somebody. Just kill my best friends and. And he was a general in charge of everything. No, no, he don't get no salute from me. All right, if they think I'm wrong, that, that's, that's up to the guy upstairs that he said that. But today I hold fast on that. I'm glad I didn't. And I think my buddies and Bill's buddies closer to me, they would say, babe, good job.
1: And as you write in the book, wow—a kid from South Philly, a private first class from South Philly, having a German general surrender to him. Uh, not bad. This is
3: unbelievable.
1: T- hey guys, it's good to have you here.
3: Well, thank God I'm alive. Just thank God. I'm thank
1: alive. you for thank you for for working on this project with Robin Post. And I want to repeat that it's a privilege for us to host you on the program. And I hope you'll come back, Babe. Nice to make your acquaintance. Thank you. Wow, Bill, you look good, my friend. Thank you
3: very much. Bring thank God there, I'm alive. Right. Al- thank God I'm alive. I thank
1: you. Uh, we all echo those sentiments. There you go, folks. I think TC. Do you want to say anything about about that day? I mean, you were there in studio. I think uh, I say I've been at this for three decades. That is, you know, Howard Stern wrote a book recently where he said that his Conan O'Brien interview, for reasons that he discusses in uh, his new um, his new publication, is his favorite interview of all time. That's mine. I'm going to give something away. Yeah. Um, usually when uh, you know, we play
0: interviews from the archives, you and I do 5,000 things at once. Right. We're always doing things. True. We're answering emails. We're doing this. We're printing that. The two of us just sat still. Yes. For 20 minutes. Yes. And listened to that interview. I know. You know,
1: alternatively sort of gasping and, and sort of like laughing and reliving it. And and I said to you, and I mean it, I could listen to that interview every single day and we all should and we should remember and that is what is most important and I am so glad you have that interview me too I, I, I tell you it's I just treasure it oh.
0: the Smirconish podcast for independent minds
1: listen to Michael Smirkanish
3: live weekdays from 9am to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app
0: connect with Michael on Facebook Twitter YouTube and
2: at Smirconish.com